Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast is following the 2023 NFL Draft. We're looking at the New York Jets. We went in with five total picks. We came out with seven total players, so feeling really good about that. Joe Douglas in the draft was able to address some really important critical needs, in my opinion, and then also go after some luxury best player available guys that maybe on paper we weren't looking at going in, but then it's like, you know what, this is the best guy on their board. They can go after him, whether he's going to be a depth rotational piece that works his way up the roster this year, or whether or not it's going to be a guy for future when contracts expire, just to be a step ahead. You know, drafting before the need becomes a need. That's the type of thing that Joe Douglas was able to do in this one. Most important thing, of course, is that these players are successful at whatever they do, regardless of position. They don't help us if they're no good. They don't help us if they're cut in a year or two. And if they are good, effective players, they either have a spot on this roster for a long time, or we'll be able to move them, get something out of it. And uh, so a lot of good things from this weekend for the Jets. On this podcast, I'm going to kind of break down an overview of the draft, the picks the Jets made, kind of their overview of like what Joe Douglas did and his mindset in the draft and some of the stuff that happened. But I'm really going to focus on two picks. It's going to be Will McDonald, the defensive end out of Iowa State, and it's going to be Joe Titman, the center out of Wisconsin. I've got a father time and a what's on tap that's going to go on this one as well. But I'm going to try to keep it as a shorter episode like I've been doing and focus on just those two players rather than doing the entire draft. Because in years past, I've done like every single player and then undrafted free agents and I either have to gloss over the players too quickly or I end up going for like two hours and it just I'm drinking beers and rattling stuff off and by the end it's a mess. So I think if I focus on those two guys, cut it there. And then I'm going to do a really fun podcast next, actually. It's going to be with the Pit Talk Network, a fan's first sports network. It's going to be the University of Pittsburgh podcast. This guy, Corey Cohen, does a really good job for them, for the University of Pittsburgh. And we're doing a collaborative podcast episode where we're talking about the Jets' next two picks, the fourth and fifth rounder, Carter Warren, and Israel Abanaconda. So we're going to talk about those two players as well as Jordan Whitehead and an undrafted free agent, Deslin Alexander, that are also from Pittsburgh. So that's going to be pretty cool, and that's going to talk about those next two picks. And then I'll do a third podcast after that that's going to be talking about um, the last guy. It's going to be Zaire Barnes, the linebacker, the defensive back, Jarek Bernard Converse, and then the tight end, Zach Kuntz. And then I'll do the undrafted free agents in that podcast as well. From there, we're going to go on to probably schedule release stuff because that's coming out like May 11th. So a lot of good things coming, but I'm going to try to keep this one a little bit tighter and a little bit more uh, focus on the top two guys, day one and day two of the NFL draft. Before we do that, we also have to do news, transactions, and stuff around the Jets. And like I said, we do have both a What's on Tap and Father Time in this one, so very special. I think the next one probably won't have either, but that's all right. That'll just be a quick one talking to that Univers Pittsburgh guy, Corey Cohen, so that'll be cool. And let's get into it. Before I begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. So to the Fans First Sports Network, you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan as well. And uh, I actually got some really good feedback from some people in the direct messages of Twitter and email and stuff this past weekend just talking about not only the draft class that we have, but also some of the, you know, takes on, on the new shorter podcast. And a couple people actually said they like the shorter podcasts more, and so... 
for the time being, I'm going to keep trying to do that. And instead of doing like one hour and 20 minute podcast, maybe doing two 35 minute or two 40 minute podcasts, even if I do them like the same night or night after night, like back to back or something in a really close time frame, at least split them up into more digestible episodes. The only thing that's going to lack is we're not going to have a father time and what's on tap in every single one, but I think we got a good sort of structure moving forward for it. Alrighty, so without further ado, let's get into the news and transactions around the Jets right now. Starting with Wave 2 of free agency, which began yesterday. And what Wave 2 means is, I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds here, but there's a compensatory pick formula that exists out there that isn't really completely understood by a lot of people. Um, But basically, general managers and teams are given extra draft picks in the upcoming year if they were to lose more free agents in the offseason than they were to gain. So if you were to have, like, say, 10 people have expiring contracts in your team and they all leave and you only bring in four or five guys in free agency, then the next year the NFL is going to create a certain number of picks that go to your team, somewhere between, like, rounds three and six, and they're going to pass them out to the teams that they think lost more players than gained them. Why that's important right now is those numbers on who you gain and add and bring in only count between the beginning of free agency, which was, like, March 13th, and then yesterday, May 1st. So basically, if Joe Douglas was to add a bunch of players, he wouldn't get maybe compensatory picks in the following year, which the Jets obviously desperately need draft picks next year. They only have five in 2024 lined up right now. Good quarterback class. Might want to go after one of those guys. I digress. I think Joe Douglas has set himself up really well for 2024 compensatory picks, but obviously the more guys they bring in, the less likely they are to get them. So when wave two begins, you can now start adding guys like a Quan Alexander, a Billy Turner, whoever knows whoever else the Jets maybe want to go after, and it's not going to count towards that. The Jets still will be able to get the compensatory picks they line themselves up for. So wave two, you're going to see a lot more teams kind of making small back-end roster changes. Also, the fact that they just had their draft, that's over now. So they kind of know what holes they have going into training camp, and you're going to see people just go after these veterans and stuff, maybe some smaller deals, bring some people in. You'll also see some team activities going on around the Jets facility right now, specifically with Aaron Rodgers. Some really cool content on social media, on Twitter and everything, of Aaron Rodgers throwing to Garrett Wilson, of him going to games, um, the, the Rangers, the Knicks, hanging out with Alan Lazard, Connor McGovern, hanging out with Brees Hall. I mean, very cool stuff to see him getting to know the guys, and then also just being at the facility, working with Garrett Wilson having Nathaniel Hackett and Robert Sala there watching him, working with him, being there with Zach Wilson on a daily basis. It's nice to have him there. I think there was a lot of concern, maybe specifically coming from Packers fans, who obviously Aaron Rodgers was getting fed up with them. They were getting fed up with him. And they were saying, like, when you're bringing Aaron Rodgers, just know you're going to get a lot of headaches. This guy plays on his schedule. He's not going to show up for anything. He's going to be there when he absolutely has to be. Take his money, throw the ball, and then however it falls. But I think we're seeing a more enthused, a little bit more ambitious Aaron Rodgers than we were led to believe we'd be getting. I always thought that if he came here, he was going to be all in. Otherwise, just retire at that point. You know, if you're not a 1,000% into it, then really there's no point in putting your body and everything through all that work. But he's got plenty of money. It's not like it it should be based off of that. So you're going to see some really cool stuff from him. Love those videos and that content. Also coming up, May 11th is going to be the schedule release. I think that's what the NFL is targeting right now. So... I'll do a podcast of the schedule release probably like a week after it comes out. Go over just some predictions and just some little fun facts about it, how much the Jets are going to be traveling back-to-back, when our primetime games are, some really cool matchups maybe that we have. 
we already know the teams that we're going to be playing next year. It's just a matter of when we're going to be playing them, how many Monday night football, how many Sunday night football games and stuff. We're going to find that all out. So it's going to be cool to see. And then I think that every single time the Jets do something cool, which we keep doing, it's making it more and more likely that we are a team on hard knocks. There's only like three teams that are eligible based off the hard knocks parameters to even be on the show. When you look at the Jets, like we were a really, really fun, cool roster before with a cool coach, electric atmosphere and everything. It's New York. It's the Jets. Then you bring in Aaron Rodgers, who's a huge personality. Everybody would want to see what the heck he has to say. I mean, HBO and everybody should be just begging the Jets to be on that. Whether or not the Jets want to do it and how that all comes out remains to be seen, but they're going to be a, a front runner, in my opinion, to be on that show this year, for better or for worse. I will enjoy every minute of the content, but I do not want a distraction. I would much prefer them not be on it at all, but if they're on it, I'm going to watch it, and I will get my popcorn ready for every single one, and <laughs> waiting with bated breath. So that's some news around the Jets. Let's talk transactions, because the Jets made one. They signed offensive lineman Billy Turner to a deal worth up to $3.1 million. Billy Turner is a veteran. He's like 31 years old. That $3.1 million is significant for a tackle on this Jets roster because the guy that would potentially be in that same role, Cedric Ogbui, who was here last year and played some serviceable snaps, he's getting paid like a million dollars. So nowhere near as much as Billy Turner. So Billy Turner with more investment going there. Looks like they think maybe a little bit higher of him. They really wanted to bring him in. And Cedric Ogbui maybe would be the guy on the outside looking in as Billy Turner would be shifting into this offensive line. But he started 75 career games. And what's most important to the whole thing is he's played with both Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay. He played with those two guys in Green Bay. And then when Nathaniel Hackett went to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos, Billy Turner went with him there to play in Denver. So the guy basically only plays the right side. He plays right tackle, which is where we're thinking that Mekhi Becton's going to line up. So you see him as like the number one backup to Mekhi. Max Mitchell being a potential swing guy that wouldn't be ideal to play at left tackle or right tackle, but is there as a young, cheap dude that maybe has some upside to him. we got to see what his health is looking like and everything. But I think when you look at it as Dwayne Brown is locked into the left tackle, we drafted a guy, Carter Warren, who's locked in to play left tackle, can only really play left tackle. you got Mekhi Becton on the right side, and you're thinking to yourself, shoot, if Carter Warren can't play there, what are the Jets going to do? It's going to have to be Max Mitchell or Cedric Ogbui, which, you know, you can do. But I think Joe Douglas and the Jets want to maybe have a more sure thing lined up there. Q and Billy Turner, a really nice signing for this guy, a veteran, who early in his career really sucked. Last year wasn't incredible, but in the middle part of his career, he was actually pretty good. You look at some PFF grades, and you'll be pretty impressed with what he was able to do from, like, you know, 2019 to 2022 or so. The guy can play, and who knows? Will he be competing for a starting job? He may be, specifically if somebody's not ready, Mekhi Becton. I think he will be, but it's nice to have depth here. When you look at the offensive line across the board like a week ago, before we had Connor McGovern, it was a real point of emphasis. We had to get a tackle. We had to get depth for that old line, had to get a center. Like It was so many question marks and everything going into the draft. And now you look at it, three days removed from the draft, and you're like, you know what? I see a plan at every single position on that offensive line. Not only a starter on paper that I feel good about, but a backup that I feel good about as well for this year. Some even set up for the future. So really nice work by Joe Douglas in getting this offensive line set for this year. Remains to be seen how it actually plays out, but right now I'm feeling good. I think Quan Alexander, who has not signed yet, now that we're in wave two of free agency, is a very 
likely candidate to come back to the roster. We'll see what the Jets can work out with him. I would love to get Quan back on the outside just to play. You know, he doesn't play every single snap. He's one of the first guys off the field that position if they bring in nickel cornerback Michael Carter too, which they do frequently. So Quan Alexander only asked to play, you know, 40, 50% of snaps on a good day, but still a nice player to have there. Kind of sets the tone. I think the players really liked him, and uh, I'd like to see him back. The last transactional news, the Jets declined Mekhi Becton's fifth-year option. Not really news. There was no scenario they were going to pay him the money that he would have to be paid in that fifth-year option, only having played one game in the last two years. Called it last week, said don't expect him to get you know, signed to that fifth-year option. A lot, of, a lot of players really don't get signed to that fifth-year option because you could do an extension if you really want to keep a guy. And if the guy hasn't been great, then you don't want to lock yourself into like $13 million guaranteed for him. You maybe want to work out a more team-friendly deal. There's only a few scenarios where it's like almost like exercising a slightly less expensive franchise tag on a young player that you drafted. So there's a few scenarios where it happens, but more likely than not, guys do not get their fifth-year options picked up. So it does not mean that Mekhi Becton has failed. It just means he hasn't proven himself enough right now to get that guaranteed money. So now I want to talk about the draft, but before we do that, let's take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. We're doing what's on tap. And today, I got something inspired by the draft. Because I watched almost every single minute of this thing. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, I was sitting there watching the draft. And specifically in the first round with Roger Goodell calling all the picks and everything. One thing we saw on stage over and over again lined up perfectly with the beer that I saw on the fridge the day after. And that is Kent Falls Awkward Hug IPA. That's right, I'm drinking Awkward Hug because I saw a lot of them in some scenarios. Guys lift Roger Goodell up. He had a couple weird secret handshakes that he'd made with a couple players, I don't know, in the back rooms before the, the draft happened. I don't know why that all came up. But Awkward Hug seemed like the perfect fit following draft weekend where we saw tons of them. This is made by Kent Falls, so it's actually also a really good beer. This is one that I'd had, like, I think I had it for the first time maybe five, six, seven years ago, and it really stood out to me as being like one of those early pioneers in the IPA world. I saw it back on the shelf. I'm drinking it now, and really, it's not that much different than so many other beers that come out now, but so much has changed in that beer landscape that, you know, the special things, they don't stand out the same way, but this thing is still really good. Kent Falls is a great brewery, and the can is still hilarious. It's got a bunch of people giving awkward hugs. Kind of looks like a Where's Waldo-style art. One pint, 6.5% alcohol. It's an IPA made with Connecticut-grown grains, hopped with citra and azaka. I may have even done this years ago on the podcast, for all I know. But it's really good. I'm happy to have it. Fits the mold. And that is this week's What's on Tap. Now, before we go over to a draft recap, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. I was informed by Fans First Sports Network that not every time I mark a commercial in post, it actually plays in practice. So sometimes I may say commercial break and there may not be one. If that's the case, it's just because the spot wasn't filled with an ad, consider it a win. But uh, kind of awkward for me who says commercial. Doesn't really matter. I don't listen to them again afterwards. Not a big deal. But that's why that happens if it ever does. So let's do draft recap, talking 2023 New York Jets draft. We went into the weekend with five selections. We came out with seven players, and here they are. 
In round one, at pick number 15, we take Will McDonald, defensive end out of Iowa State. In round two, pick number 43, we get Joe Tittman, center out of Wisconsin. Round four, pick number 120, Carter Warren, offensive tackle, specifically left tackle, out of Pittsburgh. In round five, number 143, we got Israel Abanaconda, a running back, also out of Pittsburgh. Round six, pick number 184, we get Zaire Barnes, linebacker, out of Western Kentucky. Round six, pick number 204, we get Jarek Bernard Converse, a defensive back out of LSU. And then in round seven, to close it out, at pick number 220, we get tight end Zach Koontz out of Old Dominion. So those seven players make up Jets and Joe Douglas' 2023 Super Draft. You look at it across the board, we attacked offensive line, we attacked some playmakers, a pass rusher, some really important positions for the Jets, and Joe Douglas got a lot of value in this draft, I think. Not necessarily the most known names, but I've been saying it for months. This was a horrible draft, and there weren't a ton of players that really stood out as just like, wow, this guy is special or different. And so you may have had the guys that you loved and everything, but it was so deep, and the middle of it was so like ambiguous and messy that there were a lot of guys that people just maybe didn't have on their radar that were drafted, and it was like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? And sometimes it's nice that it's not so set in stone on who everyone thinks is the best, and this is the you know this is who we think is good, this is who we don't. It's like, listen, there's a lot of question marks in this draft, but the rationale behind why Joe Douglas made these picks, I think, makes sense for every single one of them. So in the first round, we're going to start with kind of how that all went down. The Jets did a pick swap with the Packers, right? We were at 13. We moved to 15. Patriots right in between us at 14. I thought it was obvious for us at 13 to go after an offensive tackle. When we make that pick swap to get Aaron Rodgers with the, with the Packers and we're at 15 now, it still makes sense to go after an offensive tackle, but it made it a little bit weirder because the Patriots were in front of us and they could have drafted a tackle. The Packers in front of us as well, they could draft a tackle. There's opportunities for trades and stuff. You're just two spots further down. So the guy that I really wanted and actually mocked in the fans' first sports network mock draft for the Jets was Georgia offensive lineman Broderick Jones. Would have been a perfect fit for the Jets. I really wanted him. We are watching the draft, and we see Peter Skaronsky go. Darnell Wright was drafted really early, and I was like, what is going on there? Paris Johnson went even earlier. So when Broderick Jones was still available at like 12, 13, I'm thinking to myself, geez, just get this guy available three more picks from now. I don't want to have to trade up. Can we get there? The Packers don't draft him. The Patriots are on the clock, and that's the one team that's like, shoot, they could do it. The minute they trade that pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think we all knew Broderick Jones was going there. The Steelers have been wanting an offensive lineman for months. They've been looking at this draft saying, hey, we can come out of this thing with maybe Darnell Wright or Broderick Jones or whoever falls out of the beginning cluster. And when Darnell Wright is gone and Broderick Jones is the last one there and they know the Jets are about to take one and they don't want to have to pivot, they move up, trade their pick 17 to the Patriots, who go down to 17. The Patriots still get Christian Gonzalez, who, in my opinion, is the best cornerback in this draft, going to a Patriots defense that's got defensive back coach genius. So that's kind of a bummer there. But also the Patriots found a way to screw the Jets out of the player that I'm 95% sure we would have drafted in Broderick Jones. So the Jets had to pivot at that point because there really wasn't a first-round talent offensive lineman available. We saw... The Jets take a lot of time off the clock in that first round, and I think they were looking for a trade partner, but ultimately didn't see any sort of value that was really worth moving away from, at that point, the best guy on their board. And that was Will McDonald, who, listen, he's not the perfect fit for what we needed to do. Like, when you look at it, you're like, man, we have so many defensive linemen and ends and pass rushers and stuff. 
that what's bringing another one in that first round? Does this guy even have a path to really play right now? I think we have to put that stuff aside and think to ourselves, he was drafted in the top 15. He was mocked by a lot of people to be in the top 20, sometimes top 10. And if Will McDonald is everything that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala specifically thinks he can turn him into, we are going to be so freaking happy to have a pass rusher like this for years and years to come. So that was good to see. So he's a defensive lineman that we massive rotation there. Not a great avenue for him to play right now, but still a guy that we're going to want years from now and could be a huge asset to this team. Then they go an offensive uh, lineman, Joe Titman, which wasn't necessarily the tackle that I really wanted in that second round, but there wasn't a guy that I loved there. And Titman, I said it on the last last podcast I did, Titman was one of those like, you know, 12 guys that I named by name that I really wanted the, the Jets to have. And he was the only one through this whole draft because we didn't get a guy in the first round. I said I was hoping for two out of the five picks, which, you know, is a little bit lofty. But Tittman was the one that we got that I had said beforehand, like, this is one of my guys, a Joe Douglas guy that's going to be perfect for us. And we drafted him at 43, and I couldn't be happier. So he does that. Then he goes to the offensive tackle, a guy who's going to be probably really, really good in this league for a long time that's totally underrated coming off an injury and, and unfortunately bet on himself and got screwed a little bit. But we go after him there. So Joe Douglas, we're seeing with those first three picks, it's defensive line, interior offensive line, and then exterior offensive line, a tackle. So Joe Douglas prioritizing the trenches, as we always know, is kind of his theme. So that was great to see him just doing what we know he does best, the picks that he understands, and the stuff that we really need to work on. Those trenches are super important to us. We also see that he attacked relative athletic score with a freaking purpose. Relative athletic score, as defined by NBC Sports, is a metric that combines the various categories at the NFL Combine, height, weight, wingspan, 40-yard dash, bench press, vertical, and so on. And it combines it into one aggregate number that's then contextualized against other athletes at the same position. So that's by NBC Sports. And basically what it means is they take all the numbers from the combine, measurables, you know, from your body, and then like the drills that you do and stuff, and they give you a number and they compare you to the other guys. And the Jets, across the board, every single one of these guys had a relative athletic score that was so freaking high. We had the highest average of any team in the entire NFL coming out of this draft. Our average was like a 91. It's the scale out of 100. The Jets got an average of 91. No other team was even in the 90s. So every single player the Jets went after was extremely athletic. And something my dad's been telling me, kind of preaching to me for a while, is just like, listen, we know he goes after the trenches, Joe Douglas, but he also really wants athletes, good people, team captains. Like, he's got a type. And this draft really showed it. We got team captains in this draft. We got the athletic freaks. We got trench guys. And... When you look at that and you see Joe Douglas's success drafting for the Jets in the past, I think overall he's been really good. I don't want to just blame last year. Some people say, like, oh, last year he had a couple of really easy picks. Other than that, he sucked. I think he's done a pretty good job moving around the board. And the players that he's taken, I understand why he's doing it, and I think some of them maybe haven't had a fair shake and some bad injuries and stuff, maybe some bad luck early on. But I like the way he does it, and he stayed true to his style this way. He kept focusing on those hardworking, mature players who love football. And I love that. Who doesn't want that to be what their team is all about? Just a bunch of good guys who love football. That's kind of like the Jets' MO, and it's a very cool thing, and it's going to be one of the reasons that we're on Hard Knocks this year because it's just such a cool team to root for. Joe Douglas is known for moving around the draft board. He didn't do it at 15. I think he was trying to, but he wasn't able to. 
On day two, I think he wanted Tippmann. I think Tippmann is a Joe Douglas guy that's going to be perfect for that offensive line for years and years. We haven't really addressed something like that other than Elijah Vera Tucker, who's one of our guards. I think he wanted to get, like, an elite talent. And Tippmann realistically could be, you know, one of the best players in this entire draft. It's just unfortunately at a position that's not really prioritized. So you get sometimes the best center in the whole draft at that pick number 43. So I think that... uh, he kind of stayed put there in the second round. But then day three, it was just floodgates open, trade around, acquire picks, move back, move up, move down, trade with the Patriots, whatever you got to do to make it work to get more players. He was able to do that. So overall, a really good draft from Joe Douglas. I like what I see, but it always comes down to what they end up doing on the field. Who cares what we think right now? Who cares what the graders say? Who cares if they say, oh, this guy sucks. This guy was a bot. Nothing's happened yet. It all depends on how they get used in our scheme by our coaches on this roster against the teams that we play on a week-in, week-out basis. And we're going to do a podcast every single week on Tuesdays talking about it, seeing whether or not the guys are doing well or doing bad. And afterwards, when it's all said and done, we can look back and say, you know what, some of these players sucked, some of them were great, this is who, this is why, so on and so forth. But let's hear from my dad, who did a father time for this podcast, talking about the draft, just kind of breaking down a little bit of the stuff, nothing too crazy. He was kind of pressed for time, so he wrote... uh, the title of this one is actually short but sweet. Sorry, thanks for the reminder. Because I kind of told him last minute, like, hey, are we going to get something today? So he kind of just threw this thing together. But a good father time from my dad, David Burnham. Here are his thoughts. Here we go. We know the picks and we love them. Or we don't love them. But we don't know if they're good picks yet. We know that JD and Robert Sala love route runners, athletic linemen, long-limbed and tall corners yards after catch, but there are aspects of this roster that seem to be ignored, and seemingly on purpose, and this baffles me. First, why does J.D., Sala, and company virtually ignore defending the run? To me, run defense is fundamental and a pure necessity if you're playing from behind. Or fourth and one, or goal lines, or first down even. Sala and Ulbrich run a 10-man rotation, but there's no room for a run stuffer like a Snacks Harrison from years ago? In the same vein, where is our short yardage back? Goal line, fourth and one. Run out the clock, a specialist. These positions are integral in playing what the coaches call situational football, but it appears that some situations get ignored. The defense seems to be based purely for third downs to create havoc and pressure. Well, first and second downs are important too. I wish and hope that they address these holes in the roster someday soon. And speaking of the roster, hold on to your hats. The sun will be rising on a clear Sunday in September when our New York Jets trot into MetLife Stadium Field in the beginning of the Aaron Rodgers, hopefully, era. Aaron Rodgers is on a mission. You know he's putting the pedal to the metal for his new team, the same team that Favre came up short with. And more important, a team that isn't the Green Bay Packers. He's got a bad taste in his mouth leaving the pack on less than good terms. Elite players play their best when they have a score to settle and have something to prove. LeBron, Jordan, Montana and of course Tommy 12. I think Rodgers has that. I know he does. And I look forward to it. Go Jets. End scene. Well, so, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, the Rodgers stuff, so excited. Good to hear his takes on that. I mean, he's stoked for it. I think we all just kind of imagine that first week, Aaron Rodgers running out of the tunnel, the Jets flying above. I hope the Jets have a home game first. That would be awesome. Maybe Jets, Giants, on, what is it, September 11th in New York, Jets home game. Could be freaking awesome. But just seeing Aaron Rodgers 
under center wearing that number eight is going to be very cool. I agree with him that Aaron Rodgers has a score to settle. I agree with him that he's a little pissed off, has a bad taste in his mouth about this Packers thing, and that's what's going to push him. If there's a question in his mind of like whether or not he wants to play still or you know what's it worth at this point, that's it right there. That's what you're fighting for, to prove that the Packers were wrong, that he's great, to make his legacy, to do it somewhere else, and to kind of spite them for giving up on him, drafting Jordan Love, not giving him positional players. The Jets are giving him positional players. You're worried about having wide receivers and running backs and tight ends. We got a freaking slew of them. Corey Davis is still here following the draft. We didn't draft a wide receiver. We may still keep him. Corey Davis, Miko Hardman, Garrett Wilson, and Alan Lazard as your wide receivers with Denzel Mims waiting in the wings, you never know, who would probably be a great Nathaniel Hackett option. Tight ends Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzoma with the young stud Jeremy Rucker, third rounder from last year, just waiting, grooming, getting ready. You got the running backs, Brees Hall. We drafted another one. Michael Carter could be back. Good pass catching back. I mean, we have weapons for Aaron Rodgers. And he's going to be able to go to work and show the Green Bay Packers that if they'd given him the same type of weapons, he could have won Super Bowls with them. He's about to do it with us. I hope. But then my dad talks about the run stuffer, and this is something that I was talking about last podcast of, like, my number two position of need was interior defensive line, and I wanted it to be a run-focused guy because right now you got Solomon Thomas, and then you've got Quentin Jefferson as the guys that would play next to Quinn and Williams. I know you can move in like John Franklin Myers or Michael Clemens, but in a lot of situations you're thinking about that being a, to attack the passer. So on running downs against a running team, you got Solomon Thomas and then Quentin Jefferson, who's like one of the worst-rated run defenders in the entire league last year with the Seahawks. You don't feel great about it, and I was surprised they didn't come away with one, but maybe we can get a true run-focused guy like an Al Woods or something in upcoming weeks. We'll see what they do there. I also wanted that bruising running back that could pick up the one yard. I wanted Hunter Lupke, the fullback in this draft. They didn't go that route. He ended up at the Cowboys, and uh, it kind of confuses me too. Because those are two aspects, like you said, like situations in football that we're just not really prepared for. A team that wants to run the ball down our throats probably would do pretty well against us right now. And us, fourth and goal in a game where we need it, or fourth and one, anything like that, where we need to pick up yards or just grind a game down because we're up by three and there's five minutes to go, our ball, 20-yard line, can we just grind the clock down with a running back? I don't know if we have the guy right now, specifically if Brees Hall is banged up. And as good as Brees Hall was... He's a little bit more of that home run type of guy. Like, he can break a 70-yarder at any time, but he's not a between-the-tackles picking up four yards, putting his head down and shoulder into a guy every single play. It's not really his thing. He's more like flash than he is power. And so I'm with him on that front. It doesn't piss me off too much because I like the team and the roster more than really any Jets team and roster we've ever had. Maybe you could say 2009 and 2010 were two. When we brought in, like, LaDainian Tomlinson, that was probably peak level roster as well, but this is right there with it, and we now have the quarterback in Aaron Rodgers that, like, listen, a couple situations, no, maybe not, but no team has everything. Without flaws, we are not, but capable of putting some freaking points on the board and shutting people down, we are. So I'm not going to cry over spilled milk just yet. We'll see what they do if they can address those things. I don't think the short yardage running back is coming, but I do think that the interior defensive lineman is to help stop the run. We'll see how they navigate it. I appreciate the father time, Dad. Thank you very much. It was a good one, even though it was a little last minute. That's okay. We love it just the same. So now, before our last two guys we're going to talk about, quick commercial break. 
Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live, where we are going to break down the first two picks the Jets made in this draft, starting with Will McDonald, defensive end out of Iowa State. He's going to be 24 playing this year, turning 24, I think, in August. He's 23 right now. He was a redshirt senior for Iowa State, and he was basically playing a 3-4 defensive end, which, in reality, most people that are looking at this tape and stuff say that that's out of position for him. Because as a 3-4 defensive end, you're basically playing on the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle, so between the guard and tackle. And for a small, speedy, bendy guy like Will McDonald, you typically want him to go outside of the tackle, try to bend his body and get after the quarterback that way. You don't get as many opportunities to do that in a 3-4 as the defensive end. So the thought is that in college, he wasn't even really being maximized. He was just a freak athlete that was on the Cyclones, and they run a 3-4, so that's what he was doing. But he played 48 games, healthy throughout all of college, just like available week after week. And he amassed 34 sacks playing in the Big 12. That's 34 breaking Von Miller's record for the most sacks ever in the Big 12, playing what we think is out of position. He had 40 and a half tackles for loss, 10 forced fumbles. So this is the guy that absolutely gets after the passer, right? You don't put up numbers like Von Miller in the Big 12 just being a slouch. You got to be available on game days. You got to play there. You got to be put in situations where you have an opportunity and then you got to make it work. And he did. 10 forced fumbles is huge to me because not only does he get after the guy for that most sacks ever, but so many situations he's actually getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands as well, which is super important for us because forcing turnovers is going to be huge for us down the stretch. If we're in some shootouts, we're trying to win a game like, you know, 35 to 33, getting that last minute turnover like the way Bryce Bryce Huff got one against Josh Allen last year just to seal the game and win it for the Jets those plays are so important and sometimes you get after the quarterback and you get the sack other times you get that forced fumble and you really change the game that's why they call Will McDonald game wrecker you saw the call uh if you didn't see it Will Robert Sala making his call to the player after he got drafted saying like hey Will McDonald ready to he said game wrecker are you ready to come here and wreck some games? Like, he calls him game wrecker because this guy is capable of doing that, getting back after the quarterback, knocking the ball out. You look at his physical traits, he's six foot four, super long arms, but most importantly for this guy, he's super bendy and flexible. And when you look at pass rushers that go on the outside of the tackle, one of the most important traits and the hardest one to find is a guy that can get his body at an angle with a lot of bend and flex to get his shoulder down low. You're not talking about being parallel to the ground, but like, a 45-degree angle off the ground as close to parallel as you could possibly be. That's what the very, very best can do. They get down really, really low against the offensive lineman's hip, and they just shift their body back. It's almost impossible to block for a big guy that's playing offensive tackle. But most people can't do it. They don't have the balance, the pursuit, and just, like, the agility to do that. Will McDonald can't. He's probably the bendiest, most flexible, flexy defensive end in this entire class. He's quick. He's got elite pursuit he's got the aggression that goes after getting that football out and he's got a combo of moves that include like that outside bend move I was talking about he also has you try to sell out on that like make sure he doesn't get out wide on you in those crazy bends he's got a sick spin move inside that all of a sudden you start selling out to the outside and he spins his way inside and then if he gets engaged with you he's got a pretty good rip move where he can knock your arm down and get past you as well so he's got three nice ways of getting after the quarterback and it's going to be a really tough task for anybody that goes up against him we got to see him do it against NFL offensive linemen and obviously doing it in minimal snaps because there's a big rotation there. 
But this guy is a freak athlete. And if anybody can get him there, I think it's Robert Sala. He's been seeing there's videos of him jumping over cars, doing backflips, all sorts of stuff that not it's not necessarily important for a defensive end or a football player or anything, but it just reminds you that he's not like other people. He's a freak athlete. He's got that relative athletic score that's off the charts. And he's a guy that's like when you're taking Plato and you're trying to mold a dude that like, what can we what can we do? You need to have those intangibles and those traits. And he's got them. When you talk about the Jets scheme fit, I think he's going to be a pass rush specialist early on. He's going to be kind of like a Bryce Huff, probably competing with Bryce Huff for that role of like coming in on definite passing downs and then just see if you can get after the quarterback. And whoever's more successful between the two, you know, will get more opportunities. Maybe they play both at the same time, but it's going to be about getting after the quarterback. He's also going to be depth there because you got Carl Lawson and John Franklin Myers on potentially expiring contracts. They may not be here with the team next year. And if that's the case and you lose two great guys, you've still got Michael Clemens. You've still got Jermaine Johnson. But you won't have Bryce Huff then either. So just kind of attacking that need now before it becomes a need. Because it can be very hard to find a pass rusher, a really good one. you got to pay a lot of money. you got to draft him really high. A guy like Will McDonald, who probably wasn't even on your radar, has to get drafted at 15 because that's where you have to get these guys. And he was worth it. So... I think the plan right now is to get him in there for depth, get some opportunities, and maybe even close out some games for us, right? In those fourth quarters when the Jets are winning, holding on to a one-score lead or something, and we're trying to win the game, get him in there on third downs, and you know it's passing situations, and just let him and Bryce Huff and Quinn Williams, Jermaine, just get after the passer and make their life a living hell, make it easier on the cornerbacks. You listen to DJ Reed. He had a video on Twitter that came out right after they drafted Bill McDonald, and he's, like, amped up, fired up, like, yes, This is huge to get this guy because having pass rushers like this make it so much easier for the defensive backs, Sauce Gardner and myself, to cover our guys because they don't have to cover them for five seconds. they got to cover them for like two and a half. There's dudes bearing down from all over, and there's a lot of them. So they're getting rotated in and out, and their legs are fresh. You just added one more, a piece for the future, a guy if somebody goes down this year, and someone that can be a pass rush specialist end of games this year. It's not the ideal first-round pick for the Jets going into this draft, But the thought process behind it, I mean, you can't deny that if this guy is an elite pass rusher, like a Von Miller-level guy in the NFL, you would ever complain about this for a minute. It would be electric, amazing, game-changing, team-changing. So we'll see if that's the case. I'm positive on him. I think he seems like a good guy, smart kid, played a lot, healthy, athletic, love it. Then you talk about the Jets' 43rd overall pick. They take Joe Tipman, the center, out of Wisconsin. And I love this pick. He was on my list. This guy, love him. You talk about his background. As a senior in high school, he won Indiana's Mr. Football for the offensive line, basically given to the best offensive lineman in all of Indiana. So even at a young age, he was, like, really, really good. They could tell. He's coming out right now as a 22-year-old redshirt junior. So he's a little bit younger than uh, Will McDonald, but still... 22, he's a man, right? Getting there. He was academic, all Big Ten, three years in college. So very, very smart, highly intelligent guy that takes school and everything seriously. Sophisticated young guy. He played in 25 games with 23 career starts. 22 of those 23 games were at center. So he's basically exclusively at this point a center. PFF gave him a run grade of 78, which is very good. He also only allowed last year one sack and five pressures, over 338 pass-blocking snaps. So when you look at that, he's good against the run. He's good against the pass. How does he do it? Because his physical traits 
are elite. He had a total combine score that was the highest among any center in this entire draft. That relative athletic score, the combine numbers, better than any center in the whole draft. Because he's six foot six. That's right, six foot six for a center, 315 pounds, which you would think is like kind of scary to have a six foot six center in front of like a six foot two quarterback who's got to throw over him. But he bends really well because he's really athletic that he actually gets down and can play a little bit more compact. He just got that big extra size and power of a 315-pound, 6'6 monster. He's quick. He's athletic. He's capable of pulling very, very well because he's nimble on his feet. He's got that bend that we were talking about that's really good for him to get down low and give him some power. He's super intelligent. I mean, this guy, he's arguably the best center in the entire draft. And when you look at it, again, like talking about Will McDonald being like, if you could mold a guy, like what would you start with intangibles and stuff and those physical traits? The same thing for Joe Tittman. If you could like build a center, you would want them to be big, powerful, smart, great communicators who are light on their feet, nimble, can move left to right, pull and all that stuff. That's scheme versatile. That is what Joe Tittman is, and that's why he's going to be so freaking good. You talk about a scheme fit for us, he's going to learn quickly. Probably going to play center. They say potentially, given his size, he could maybe be a guard. We'll see if the Jets want to try to do some of that transition and get him into that. That might be, you know, flexibility, versatility might be important for the Jets. But with Connor McGovern here on a one-year deal, Wes Schweitzer is the other guy that could potentially play center, or Tristan Colon. I think you really want to have a nice backup center. And Joe Tippman, he could compete right now for starting center with Connor McGovern. He could potentially win it in training camp. I think he could be that good right away. And if Aaron Rodgers likes him and it goes well, you never know. If not, he's competing with a West Schweitzer for the backup center job. If he doesn't win it this year, listen, Schweitzer's a capable veteran. I was excited when we brought him in. McGovern is a capable starter. I was excited when we brought him back. So for Tippmann to lose to either of those guys won't be a huge failure on his part. It's just going to be two good guys beat you. But, I mean, Tippmann's going to have an opportunity to do it. He's super effective versus the run. He's super effective versus the pass. He's able to pull. He's scheme versatile. Regardless of what coach and GM combination we have, regardless of what quarterback we have years and years down the road, this guy could potentially be an anchor at center for the Jets for 10 years. Another one. After a long history of having long-stay great centers, Joe Tittman could be the next one. I love it. I love the pick. Interior offensive line. It gives you that depth. And now when you look at it between Lake and Tomlinson and ABT with Connor McGovern in the middle, Wes Schweitzer as a backup hybrid that could play center or guard. Now Tittman rolling in there. Tristan Colon is like your backup. You never know just in case you need another guy to play there. We have enough guys here. We're going to be cutting probably Tristan Colon. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good about the interior offensive line. I'm feeling good about the offensive tackles as well on this team primarily because of the addition of Billy Turner we talked about and Carter Warren, who Jets drafted on day three. But we're going to talk about day three on the next podcast episode. I'm going to do day three. I'm going to do the beginning of day three with Pittsburgh, with the Pit Talk Network first with Corey Cohen. That's going to be the next podcast, just talking about Izzy, Abinaconda, and Carter Warren. Also talking Jordan Whitehead, Deslin Alexander, anybody else from Pitt. We're going to talk about that stuff on the next podcast. And then from there, going to do... The later guys, Jarek Bernard-Converse, Zach Koontz, Zaire Barnes, undrafted free agents, going to do that on the third podcast. And then from there, we're going to do like a schedule release thing. 
probably a week after the schedule releases come out. So look for that, and follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for any updates in the meantime. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. That's all I got for you. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 